Hey, and welcome to Jen and Sam Make a Movie. It's our podcast about everything indie film related, everything representation related, helping you make a film if that's what you're into, or showing you our journey as we do the same. This is And talking about Zoe Saldana all the time, forever. <laughs> yeah, we love Zoe Saldana. Maybe not this time. <laughs> what are we talking about right now, Jen? So a bunch of people got angry that the Guardians about the Guardians of Galaxy 2 trailer because Gamora didn't get a single line in it and her only role in it this is the one where Groot runs away with the little bomb I am Groot like that um Gamora doesn't say anything Groot says more things than she does and her only actions in it are to be Star-Lord's love interest she also kicked some stuff and flipped. She did a backflip or something. So, also, that's Sam who's talking there. I totally interrupted her introduction of herself. She's the producer of our movie. No problem, no problem. So I thought it was a perfectly fine trailer. And here's what people should keep in mind uh, when you're judging a trailer. The filmmakers have absolutely nothing to do with that trailer. The film studio usually has nothing to do with that trailer, even if it's a big studio. Trailers are outsourced. There are companies that do nothing but trailers, and they do that based on tons of marketing research and a lot of focus groups based on what's going to sell. Really, you can't fault the filmmakers for that. They're, they often approve trailers, um, and it's the studio that's going to approve a trailer, not the director, not the producer, or anything like that. I think that's a really important point. I didn't actually know that. Because I'm ignorant, yeah. but Sam knew that because Sam has been like, on a million film sets. Because, yeah, we're probably going to cut around trailer because money. So <laughs> you can, if our trailer like offends you, I guess you can blame us for that. But well, also because Sam the, is good at yeah. that. Don't you have like? Because I know I, Sam has a lot of experience with like short film stuff, and she's done marketing stuff for people before for like a nonprofit. So our trailer is going to be good because. Sam knows how to do that stuff. Right. Our trailer will also have a woman talking in it. Because since most of what people do <laughs> yes. in rom-coms it's a talk. romantic comedy. <laughs> Tons of talking in our movie. Lots of witty banter. There's, there's also some crazy action too. Some sexy action. But not like more than PG-13. It's good stuff. It's going to be fun. Anyway. I didn't so what did you think of the trailer, Jen? <laughs> I really just wanted to talk about it to hear what you thought. But after thinking about it, the criticism, it is true. She doesn't she doesn't do anything important, which is kind of a bummer because they could have had one or two lines. She had she had funny lines I thought in the first movie. But honestly, I didn't pay attention to that until someone pointed it out. Why? Because my favorite character in Guardians of the Galaxy is actually not Gamora. It's that wrestler guy who can't doesn't get metaphors. So I was watching it for Drax. Right. And I saw Drax and I was like, "Yes, Drax." That was that was all that was on my mind. Feminism and all these things were not on my mind at the moment. So, shame on you. <laughs> I am a failed woman. I don't think it would have hurt the trailer to add 5 seconds of Gamora turning to the camera and saying something snazzy. On the other hand, I saw a really funny comment just now where somebody said, oh, the team's stoic, silent assassin doesn't have a lot to say. Shocker. And that's <laughs> <Right. fair. laughs> 
She is the silent assassin. I do like her to talk. And you can be strong without talking. I think that's true. Come on now. You know. That's my that's probably my main criticism about the Bechtel test. Um, especially doing a lot of short films and a lot of films where, you know, you wanna show rather than tell. Um there's a lot of story that can be told by not saying anything at all if you're creative enough. That's a really and good point. The best actors can tell you a lot by not opening their mouths. And I think she's clearly a really good actor in that scene at the end where he's making where Drax is making fun of Star-Lord for not for this pink woman just told all his secrets about how much he loves Gamora. Her reactions are clearly like she speaks through her her facial reactions. However, other than that, there wasn't a lot of us getting to even see her act or react. We didn't get to see the kind of the star that she is. And with all Drax's talking and all Star Lord's talking, I I think even I think it's true we don't have to see her talk, but we could have seen her conflict or her opinion of the relationship or of the conflict of the movie. My main criticism with the trailer actually doesn't have to do with her. It has to do with, I have no idea what that movie is about. I knew what the first one was about because the first trailer was rad. Infinity stones. Ta-da. Yes. And exploding things and Drax stabbing some tentacle monster. That doesn't tell me a lot. I think the next like four Marvel movies or so are going to have to do in some way, shape or form with infinity stones <laughs> i think you can just take that as a given and that's fair I mean, but that, that's I mean trailers i want to explain to people what a macguffin is a macguffin is a writing technique that you use to give people a motivation to search for a thing or fight for a thing so the death star plans are a macguffin the ark of the covenant is a macguffin it's like the thing that it doesn't actually matter what the thing is right but everyone wants it so that's why it's important yes so, um, and now I forgot what I was going to say. I'm it wasn't so important. Um, yeah, trailers don't even have to tell you what uh, trailers. The the purpose of a trailer is to get your attention and to get your money, right? You don't need to know what a movie is about in order to walk into a movie theater or in order to say, "Yeah, I think I'll probably end up seeing that." That's you what a trailer so? is supposed to do. Absolutely, I know so. That's what they want. <laughs> For me, I Trailers feel are like... supposed to get you excited. They're not supposed to like... I mean, some movies, for a blockbuster like that, you don't really need to know what it's about in order to know that it's it's going to be worth seeing in a theater, right? Guardians of the Galaxy is better in IMAX than it is on your 13-inch your laptop or whatever, right? A romantic comedy has to work a little bit harder, right? Because... Most romantic, romantic comedies aren't going to have a lot of CGI. They aren't going to have a lot of special effects. And that's that's a problem that a lot of indie filmmakers who aren't making these big blockbuster movies are facing. You know, we have to give a little bit more of our story away. Um, and I actually read an article about someone basically saying that that's how he was able to do his crowdfunding. He basically said, okay, this film is about two people. In the first five minutes, one of them ends up dead basically giving away a large part of his plot in order to get interest, in order to get people to support his film. I think, I so I understand your perspective. You're saying like the point is to get money. And I think that's an awesome point about indie film versus blockbuster film. But I, for me as a viewer, not as a filmmaker, because I don't have the kind of experience you have. But for me as a viewer, 
I don't want to watch a movie if I don't know what the story is. So I tend to hold. Oh, me too. Because we're cheap people. <laughs> we don't want to spend the money. I mean, like, I think the only trailer I've been excited about, like, so I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I didn't care about any of the Star Wars trailers at all. Everyone else, everyone knows that, like, my life has in a large part revolved around Star Wars. My religious faith has been shaped by Star Wars. A lot of my life, like, Star Wars is very important to me, but I didn't care about any of the trailers because they didn't tell me any story. The only trailer I've cared about in the last two or three years was the first Guardians of the Galaxy trailer because it very quickly set up five characters and the conflict that they have, which is they're becoming this team. And it gave each one of them this time. And then, the you know, the music when they step out, it got me excited because I knew... I knew exactly what it was about, and the movie was exactly what the trailer was about. I haven't seen anything like that. But on that note, on that note, isn't isn't this trailer also doing that? So we know this team, we know these characters, and now these characters are sort of forced together, doing all sorts of mischief. The team is changing, the dynamic is changing, and I think this trailer did a great job of showing that. Hmm. There's a larger plot that we have no idea what it is, and... The studio very much wants it that way. <laughs> that's that's probably true. Maybe because it's weak. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I, I'm so afraid that it's not going to live up to the first one. And I don't know, Gamora not saying anything. Although I don't think she said anything in the first trailer, but she did look impressive. I think she killed someone in the first she trailer. Always, Zoe Saldana always looks impressive. This is true. This is this has been Zoe Saldana all the time, always. <laughs> we've mentioned her in four out of the five podcasts we've done so far three out of the five something like that i'm gonna make it a meme i'm gonna mention her in every single jen one. and sam make a movie featuring zoe saldana <laughs> oh boy oh, that'd be super cool actually if she did a cameo that would like if we if in the podcast or the movie, <laughs> in the movie. yes yes both okay in the podcast i don't think we can afford that for a podcast i don't know that would be super awesome i don't think i think that's that's dreaming pretty big but yeah i feel like we kind of feel a little bit differently about the trailer i am a little bit of a hyper feminist feminist feminazi blah 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 i now i've learned that there's a better term you're supposed to use the term womanist now um if you're not racist you're supposed to use the term womanist i didn't know this Anyway, okay, how is feminist racist? Sorry, what? So I do understand this criticism. I am not really equipped to talk about it because I just learned this today and I am too ignorant to have done the full Googling I'm supposed to do. I was talking to someone who she says the reason she is a womanist, not a feminist, is because feminism isn't always intersectional and it does not always include support for women who look like her. This is a black lady. And she pointed out that... It was so And so in response to that, I was like, well, this is true. You get the kind of Liz Lemon stereotypical, like, white feminist who's kind of... I, I see it. I see I see where she's coming from, but it's very hard for me to explain it. Um, and I have nothing against white feminists. But there is this, like, what she calls, like, what this other girl I was talking to calls, like, white feminism TM, where it's, like, solidarity. It's a hashtag. I don't know if you've heard the solidar- the solidarity is for white women only hashtag. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of exclusion that happens um, with a lot of intersectional groups. As far as creating a term, 
with the guys that it's more inclusive. I think that's a bit laughable. That's not how language works. <laughs> well, you are a linguist, so you get to say that. <laughs> I mean, you're, I think that's putting a little bit too much stock in labels. Um, you can definitely call attention to the fact that feminism historically hasn't been very much interested with, you know, the plight of women of color in particular, or women of a certain socioeconomic group. That's true. Um, But why not try to change that term from within, right? I mean, this is where a lot of representation groups really shoot themselves in the foot. You know, people have been spending so much time, you know, you know, with like he for she and all of these groups getting men to finally be able to say that they're feminists and not have that be some sort of like crazy thing. Mm -hmm. And now to create another term i don't think that's very efficient it's bad marketing i think i i think i'm really bad at representing her um point of view no i agree 500 percent that there there is really not much historically especially um looking at the history of feminism i i definitely agree with that criticism but i'm not sure that that's the right solution you think so though with the history because like first wave feminism like sojourner truth was part of that she was a very, very important activist, um, and she was definitely she's like that's all she did in her life. Well, she she also smoked, but she was this she's this awesome woman of color who fought for women's rights and basically black rights. And I, you know, she was around back when Susan B. Anthony and them were around. So I feel like first wave was maybe more inclusive i think the uninclusive wave is really second wave feminism which this is where you get like the hillary clinton-esque like narrow planned parenthood feminists who tend to try to try to enforce belief systems on the black and hispanic communities that are not actually originally there well definitely feminism is an ideology i mean beliefs have to be disseminated in some way yeah yeah absolutely but i think there's a way to i think i think again there's a from within thing because one of the things that i liked about uh we studied in in my business spanish class um kind of the idea of the third wave as being the wave that understood that it was okay to be a woman you don't have to become a man in order to be feminist right why are you talking about feminism in your business spanish class (laughs) well because we were talking about how female entrepreneurs um Female entrepreneurship is a really huge thing in the Hispanic community. If you, if you like, when I'm down in Paraguay, a lot of the women are selling empanadas and stuff like that out of their houses. It's just a natural thing for them to be entrepreneurial. Right, you have to hustle. You gotta, you gotta make, make a side income. My mother, yeah, she's always selling something, and that's awesome. And I think that's a thing that is not very common in the white community. I don't know. But I don't. I think that the upper class white community, there the women tend to sit, tend to have like a career, or they tend to just sit at home. They don't tend to merge the two at all. Whereas these, as we we're talking in the business Spanish class, like these Hispanic women, their business is it revolves around is involved in their home. They're not ashamed of also having kids and being at home with their kids. I'm not. I'm not casting judgment on the decision to have a career. Um, that's everyone's personal choice. But I think a lot of people felt that second wave feminism was second wave feminism said, if you have a lot of kids, you're bad. You know, my mom was told frequently, you need to be productive. Uh huh. Well, and so my mom and has being we, children, having children isn't productive. Exactly. Basically you have to be a man. 
you have to control your biology to be more masculine. My mom had eight kids and she's been looked down on for like, even though she's highly educated, she's got three degrees. Um, she's looked down on as like just this idiot because how dare she not know how to use birth control or something like that. That had to have been a mistake. Yes, exactly. It couldn't have been on purpose because what woman wants to actually have children? Children are a waste of time. That's kind of, that's a stereotype of second wave feminism. Um, but I, I do think it's kind of a true where there's this like kind of anti-child, anti-woman who likes to stay at home rather than just saying, let's all accept any way we choose to do, let's, how about women, we choose to do things how we want to do things. And that's much more intersectional. That's much more respectful of inherently, so inherently Hispanic belief systems where it's like, this is, this is part of what some people choose. Absolutely. You know, be pro-woman, whatever, you know, that means be pro-women's rights, be pro-femininity, be pro, you know, the option to cast off femininity. Exactly. It's whatever that woman wants, not what we think she should become in order to become equal in some arbitrary way to men. But because I, I feel bad about possibly misrepresenting this thing about womenism, um, this girl says to me, I should, she'd suggest reading up on Alice Walker and womanism for more insight. So people who are more interested in womanism versus feminism can look that up. And I, I probably butchered everything, so that'll fix it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how is this, are we, are we still talking about Guardians of the Galaxy? We are. We are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy and feminism, whether or not Guardians of the Galaxy is feminist. So I'd love to hear what everybody else has to say. Ladies... Um, dudes too, but ladies more. <laughs> like to hear what yes, you guys hit us have up. to say. Hit us up on Twitter. Send us an email or comment below this post if you're if you're reading it on our blog. And it's okay if you disagree with one or both of us, because you can see we kind of have slightly different feelings about it. I'm sure that there's many different feelings about it, as there are people. So we'd love to hear it. Thanks, guys. See you next time. <laughs>